point where it's now unstoppable. That, and we talked about this last week, that something has transpired in, this life of this, in the life of this church where it's no longer stoppable. Even if um, 10 of the leaders from this church um, disappeared tomorrow, uh, this church is unstoppable. And that that unstoppable nature that this church has has permeated deep enough into the life of each person here that it is not possible to stop the continuance of this church. It'll go on for years on end. Eh? I'm not talking about the Acts 29 entity. I'm talking about what has started here will not be able to be extinguished. And that's a big claim we are making, a big boast. Because even the churches in um, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, 2, and 3, seized at some point. But this thing will continue because it's become unstoppable. If you want to listen to the teaching on the unstoppable nature of this church, leave alone the fact that the church in general will prevail. This has become a prevailing unstoppable church. There's nothing that can now prevent it from flowering. When each seed becomes potent, how can you stop? So listen to that uh, from last week's thing. So this, time we, uh, this week we talk about Okay, if it's unstoppable, what are some of the things that we can now begin to focus on? And the first one we want to focus on is this idea of representation. It is the one thing that God has desired right from the beginning. Eh? When he placed Adam on the earth, he was supposed to represent God. It was normal for kings in the ancient Near East to set up images of themselves at the borders of their nation so that anybody crossing the border would recognize, aha, that's the image of the king. We have now entered into a different territory. And so when Adam was placed on the earth, it was the same thing. He was made in the selem, T-S-E-L-E-M, or the image of God. And that was the image. Hey, you can shut off the monitor. That way there won't be an echo. I think. So um, he was put on the earth as a selem or the image of God. And this idea of representation is very dear to the heart of God. It's the one thing that he's always wanted to do from the beginning. And so we have the fearful privilege, and I want to say fearful because it is not a privilege to be taken lightly. Why am I still getting an echo, guys? Okay, fearful privilege of representing the king. We have the fearful privilege of representing the king of glory. The fearful privilege, it's not to be taken lightly. The strange thing, though, is I can't represent God. I can't represent God, but I can intentionally, I can intentionally give myself to him so that he can represent himself through me, so that he can represent himself through me. So if you think you can represent God saying, okay, I want to represent you, God, it doesn't work that way. It is this idea of, Father, you are looking for representation here on earth. That's why you created man. When you placed him here on earth, you said that, made in my own image and likeness. Go forth, multiply. You know, the strange thing is, 
the idea of multiplication in the book of Genesis is only because when God made Adam, he made him after his image and likeness and said, you have the right to multiply because you will represent me. And Christ coming and buying back to himself, his people, is his idea of let me continue the representation. And so, I can't represent God, but I can intentionally give myself to him. The whole idea of living sacrifice that we were practicing during the time of worship. I can sacrificially and intentionally give myself to him so that he can then represent himself through me. Saying, okay, you're placing yourself on the altar, Jacob. Good. Let me in this area use you to represent me. So why does God work through representation? One, because he's utterly transcendent. He's utterly transcendent. So he likes having representation here on earth. What do you think he was doing with Jesus? He sent Jesus to represent him. Take on flesh. Yahweh, unapproachable. Jesus, absolutely approachable. Who lives beyond our present time uh, and our realm. He can enter this realm at will, but he is transcendent in the sense beyond. This is how Christianity is so different from other religions. Like, right? In all other religions, God can become stone and tree and wood. He can uh, become like man. He can, um, polytheism and all those religions are based on this idea that God is not transcendent, that he can as well fit here as in a stone or a rock or a person or in heaven. But we are talking about a God who is far beyond. So one of the reasons he likes representation is because he is utterly transcendent. Two, because we are his likeness. Hey, God thinks highly of this, so we don't. He likes representation because he actually thinks, I am now restored to his image and likeness. He likes representing himself through me. Ephesians 4 talks about it. That we have been redeemed and now our minds are being renewed so that we become his image and likeness. Restored to his image and likeness. God desires, likes, yearns representing himself through me. And when you and I begin to think like that, that God likes representing himself through me, you begin to want him to represent himself through you. Third, this is a very odd one. He trusts, I mean, look at uh, Genesis 5.3. God is taking us back in a sense. Genesis 5.3 and then look at Genesis 5.1. Genesis 5.3. It says, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image and named him Seth. And now look at Genesis 1. This is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. What a difference, eh? There was a fall and now there's a restoration. Adam's son was made in his likeness, but when God made man, he made him in his own likeness. And God is saying, listen, one of the reasons I like having you represent me is because I'm restoring you back to my likeness. You no longer carry Adam's likeness. 
There is the last Adam that has come, and you now belong to that likeness. There was once an earthly man, 1 Corinthians 15, but now there is a heavenly man, and you take after him. The Bible actually says that. One was a living soul, one becomes a life-giving spirit. One is a living soul, one is a life-giving spirit. This is what it means for God when you and I step up and say, okay, I'll sacrificially, intentionally give myself to you so that you can, if you so choose, O king, represent yourself through me. That aside, 1 Peter 1.23 says that we have not been born again of mortal sperm, but of immortal seed. Our genetics is just ridiculous, man. Third, I always struggle with this. He trusts us. He trusts us. And the faithfulness makes it much easier for God to trust you because um, faithfulness develops a pattern in my life. Eh? Faithfulness is good habits. At the end of the day, faithfulness is good habits continuously. Unfaithfulness is succumbing to bad habits and not rising up from it. Faithfulness makes it easier for God to expand my dominion. But even though he knows my past and my future, he still is willing to trust me at this present moment. You know, he trusts me with giving you this word. And you know what that, how that helps? As I'm teaching this word, things will begin to come that I don't have my, in my notes. And I always marvel at that. I go back home and I think to myself, where did that come from? And I know it's scriptural. He trusts you. But what if you're faithful? If you're faithful, then he not just trusts you, but he has now the ability to expand your dominion or influence. Faithfulness is good habits. Unfaithfulness is bad habits that you don't want to fight against because you like them. And then fourthly, he can't help be someone who looks for representation because he named himself. Emmanuel, God with us. He's forever chosen to dwell with a people and his glory is carried by a people. His splendor, his brilliance, his weight, his magnificence is displayed by a people. He has chosen this. He doesn't write things in the sky anymore. He doesn't use a rainbow anymore. He has surprisingly, I mean, think of it, huh? God's plan is going to succeed. God's plan is going to succeed through man. God's plan is going to succeed through his people. Just imagine that. There is no way that the biblical plan will not succeed. The biblical plan is only going to work through man. The biblical plan is only going to work through God's people. That is how confident he is. That is not how confident I am. That is how confident he is. This whole idea of Emmanuel, God with us, he's decided that this is how it's going to work. 
Plan A, Genesis chapter 1. Ain't going to change. That aside, <laughs> he's the only God, and this is where representation gets a little scary. He's a living God. He's a holy God. And so that's why I said fearful privilege of representing him. Huh? And who's he sending us to represent him to? To your innocent child, to your cynical neighbor, to an atheist, to a Republican, to a Democrat, to a Buddhist, to an Islamist, to a communist, to an academic, to a colleague. These are the ones he sends us to. Why? Very simple. Why does he ha need us as, as representatives to go to them? Very simple. Because he is Lord and they all belong to him. This is important. Eh? Try to wrap your head around it at home. One of the reasons he sends us to people is because he is actually the Lord of all and they belong to him. They belong to him. They may not know it. They may not know him. But he has bought them. He created them. They walked away. He paid the price. They belong to him. And therefore, he needs representation here on earth so he can send those that are willing to step up as representatives to go to them because they belong to him. Any questions? Any questions, guys? Pardon? Uh, no, it's just a separate thing. So, to, to be able to represent well, we start with courage, then we go to love, and then we go to signs. So let's start with courage. Um, if you want to represent, you must be seen and heard. If you want to represent, you must be seen and heard. If you're not seen and heard, you cannot represent. And unfortunately, our fear of man is suffocating representation. Suffocating our ability to represent him. Our fear of man. Now, where does our fear of man come from? It comes from the spirit of the age. We talked about this about two years ago. It comes from the spirit of the age. Oh, we'll just touch on it and I'll explain it. And what does the spirit of the age do? It fits you into the mold of prevalent culture. One of the things we have to realize is just because someone rebels doesn't mean he's rebelling against the spirit of the age because the spirit of the age is different in different places. Eh? It fits you into the mold of prevalent culture. It makes sin makes self, makes majority opinion the norm. And it makes God's ways archaic, academic, or opposed to progress. 
and it is political, it is demonic, it is intimidating. It has been around for centuries. Eh? There's not a century where this hasn't happened. And lastly, it castrates the courage to confront. It castrates the courage to confront and it forces compliance. Why am I saying all this? Because we've got to recognize what we are operating against. Every Christian is born into this. Every Christian is born into this. And this is why um, representation is being suffocated, distorted, um, diluted. Because you must realize that if you're a believer, and we mentioned why God wants us to represent him and why he uses this method, but we need to understand the matrix or the petri dish that we are operating in. One, it is the spirit of the age. And what is the spirit of the age? It doesn't matter which nation you take, which era you take. The spirit of the age tries to fit you into the mold of prevalent culture. Sometimes the spirit of the age works through churches, works through religion, but it tries to fit you into the mold of prevalent culture. It makes sin, self, and majority opinion the norm. It makes God's ways archaic, academic, or opposed to progress. It is political, it is demonic, it is intimidating. And it castrates the courage to confront and it forces compliance. This is the environment that you are being sent into. This is the environment you're being sent into. Yeah, every person is born into this. Yeah. Yeah, but because we are a different kingdom, we're now entering, uh, uh, what's it, M-I-L-I-E-U, milieu, or however you pronounce that word, you're entering a milieu that is so alien to who you really are. But because, because it has this tremendous power, it actually prevents Christians from opening their mouths or doing anything of any damaging significance. It is like, it is like a, a, a wet blanket that is so wet that it is impossible uh, to but suffocate. And if I don't decide to either die to this or realize that I must tear through this blanket, one or the other, either I must die to it because it doesn't matter anymore, or I must have the moxie to take a t take a aggressive, abrasive stance against it, one or the other. Otherwise, this is smothering representation. This is what we step into every day, guys. This is why it is war. Any questions? Any comments? This is why most of us are not able to breathe what we really want to breathe. 
So by dying to it, what I mean is you're willing to lose what is important. Uh, that's what I mean by dying to it. Or you are willing to take such an aggressive stance against it that it frightens the other party. Either die to it because then you don't care about what you lose or take such an aggressive stand against it that it begins to put the enemy on the defense. But we don't take either, eh? Most Christians don't. Western Christianity certainly doesn't. I, I find it so, as I was writing this, I was pleading with the Lord, Father, in this area, help me to show how this is done because I don't do it well. Martin Luther, I love this quote. Uh, such a cool quote. If I profess with the loudest voice every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Let me read that again. If I profess with the loudest voice every portion of the truth of God, except Precisely that point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking. Then I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. One last time. If I profess with the loudest voice every portion of the truth of God, except that point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. So it's easy to speak about love, man. But then talk about the love of Christ, that's a whole different thing, eh? Because then you'll have to bring up the cross. Yeah, it's easy to speak about God. Then you bring up Jesus Christ and it becomes a problem. And that was Paul's central creed. 1 Corinthians 2.2. I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I have decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so the first thing we want to do, deal with when we deal with representation, and this is essential for an unstoppable church, because eh? unstop one of the ways an unstoppable church dies is when nobody else is added to it. One of the ways an unstoppable church dies is when there is no birth. There's addition through um, transfers, but there's no real birth. That's one of the ways an unstoppable church dies. That's one of the ways that most churches in the book of Revelation died. They either were tolerant or they accommodated or they did not go outward or they were too Jewish or too ethnic in one area. Don, should I move you to another uh, pew or are you okay there? <laughs> You're okay there, huh? Okay, if Jeevan's too much of if Jeevan's too much of a distraction, let me know. Everything okay there? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. I pray God that this church begins to prove their loyalty in the areas where the battle rages. And one of the areas that in Vancouver the battle rages is in the area 
of how do we deal with the name of Jesus Christ, that he is the only way, that there are things that are not biblical, that are not godly, regardless of what Trudeau says. Where the battle rages, there the soldier proves his loyalty. And the scorn of the world is reserved only for churches that proclaim Christ in repentance. The scorn of the world is only reserved for churches that proclaim Christ and repentance. So don't get co-opted by sideshows and don't waste precious social currency taking stances for things that maybe protest but don't really matter. Don't spend precious social currency on things that don't matter because there's something else that matters much more. Any questions? That's the courage part of it, eh? So I'm going to ask a couple of people to pray for courage for this church right now. I'm going to ask someone to pray for courage for me. And then someone else can pray for the church. I have all the time. Huh? You're the ones who may have to go home. First for me, and then for the church. Wow, this could be a late afternoon. Thank you. Father, because I know myself, I, I just ask to have the courage of Daniel, not in the lion's den. I, some, I somehow think I can manage the lion's den, but I need courage to open the doors and pray five times a day. 
that I ask for. That I have the courage to open the doors and pray five times a day knowing that the lion's den may await. That is what I ask for, Father. A courage in simpler things too. So can someone pray for the church? Father, please grant these requests. So we got nowhere else to go to. So please, when we ask for these things, please do it for your sake. It's your representation. I'm not irritated. I'm just f- desperate. Someone pray for the church in the same area. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Let our voices be released, Father. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Yeah, Jesus. A hatred for fear. We would not tolerate it in any form. Yeah. Yeah. Unafraid of her. Unafraid. We would be as frozen as David, grabbing the land back to the, to the mountain. Out of the land. Yeah. Yeah. Let it be so far in this church. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you, Abba. Father, please answer these prayers, okay? Guys, after courage, the next thing, if you want to represent well, is love. And uh, this is a very sad statement. If it rings true, then hold on to it and do something about it. Lost people are a low priority. Lost people are a low priority. Lost people are a low priority. It's not like I make sacrifices or find intentional time to interact, invite, or intercede. It's not like I sacrifice or make intentional time to invite, interact, 
or intercede. Lost people are a low priority. It's terrible, eh, when a church gets there? Or when a church has that attitude? Uh, one of the reasons I believe God wants us to hear this today is so that we don't get trapped in it because it's already quicksandish. The scary thing about a strong church is that it can be quite happy with itself. So on one hand, God is saying, you are unstoppable. It's not possible to stop you anymore. But unstoppable doesn't mean inevitable somehow because you can still destroy good seed. Or you can hold seed from being planted. Then you have a blooming garden that is no use to anybody. I don't think, I mean, in the good old days, give me that old-time religion. There were many things really wrong with the old-time religion. But one of the things that wasn't wrong with the old-time religion was this awareness of 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9, where it says that those that refuse Christ or do not obey the message of the gospel will suffer destruction, will be cut off from the splendor and the presence of God. That is not something that modern-day churches necessarily think of. It does not bother me much that those who aren't saved will suffer destruction. I'm not speaking for you, I'm speaking for myself. It does not bother me much, and that is why I don't think about it much, that those that refuse to receive the gospel and those that do not obey the message, that's how first, uh, Second Thessalonians put it, but it doesn't bother me much that they will suffer destruction and will not see the presence of the splendor of God. And that is bothersome that it doesn't bother me much. It bothers me enough, but not much. And if you're not in that boat, man, blessed are you. And I'm sure some of you have, d don't have this problem. But one of the things that this teaching does is it exposes where you're at, right? The other thing is, I don't think, hey, can you make this work, Stephen? It's going away. Make this work, no? Derek make, uh, Derek, make it work. <laughs> hey, someone make it work. Uh, guys, uh, so here's the other question I want to ask with regard to love. Do you comprehend, do you really comprehend love for sinners? I don't comprehend this deep love for sinners that Jesus has. And part of the reason I don't comprehend it is because I don't spend enough time thinking about it. Paul had the ability to say, love compels me. Paul had the ability to say, love compels me. I cannot but help it. So the question I'm asking you is, is it that way with you? Because I'm finding out that it is not that way with me. I hate this um, thing about love, because huh? I'm not coming out good. But it is the truth. I don't comprehend love for sinners. Even though I received it, it doesn't free flow through me. I don't comprehend love for sinners. And even though I was one and have received it and thoroughly enjoyed every time we have a song during worship that reminds me of where I was and where I am, I thrill at it. But having received it, I don't comprehend God's love for sinners and it doesn't free flow through me. The prophetic free, 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 free flows through me. Teaching free flows through me. 
other things free flow through me. But love for sinners, unfortunately, not the same way. It's not a free flow. It doesn't compel me. Representation is hollowed out if courage is missing, and then the next thing is this idea of love. Any questions, any thoughts, anything you want to add? I think one of the ways we do it is we do it together. This cannot be, you try this on your own, you'll have some success, but if you do this together, it'll work. And what do I mean by doing it together? One of the things is, okay, what if we correct it together in HCs and in hubs? What if we began to combat gospel amnesia? I mean, if I were to just call you up on the spot and say, okay, so what's the gospel? You'll be surprised at the number of variations we get. And some of them will be distortions, some of them will be true, many of them will be variations. Very few will be absolutely essence of the gospel. Because that's not part of our equation nowadays, right? So what if in our HCs and in our hubs, we start combating gospel amnesia? What if we recall the gospel? And when I say what if, what I'm saying to you, Jeevan, is better make sure this happens. What if we recall the gospel? Here's another one that really got me. What if we believe in its sufficiency? That for some strange reason, God will use a naked man hanging on a cross as the foolish way to save the world. And that, that it is the power of God unto salvation. That anything else you try to sell will not save. To believe in its sufficiency. To pray for specifics, to start praying in HCs and hubs for specific areas, neighborhoods, peoples. So all you HC and hub leaders and Jeevan, better make sure this happens. And then to find ways to apply the gospel. As in, okay, now that we know this, let's try it out for real. To apply the gospel boldly. It's when we do this that the Spirit of God suddenly translates you to Azotus to meet the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. It is then that you end up at Cornelius's house and uh, um, have... Uh, what happened with Peter happened. It is then that you realize, aha, now I understand what 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 and 8 says. That do not be afraid. I have given you a spirit that is not timid but is bold and full of love and has a sober way of approaching things. And you don't need to be afraid. Be bold from now on, Timothy. 2 Timothy 1 7 is quoted so often but is rarely tried out because it can only be tried out and experienced in the context of intimidation and fear. I mean, when you read it, you recognize the context. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Why is Paul saying it? He goes on to explain in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me of his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. It is in that context that the scripture comes alive. It's in this context that we'll become as cunning as serpents and as innocent as doves. 
and as bold as lions. Guys, witnessing is dangerous and difficult frontline work. Find a good reason for it, eh? One of the best reasons that you can have for it is, I want to let you know of the brilliance of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. At least for me, that is something that makes it easy for me to step out and say to a total stranger, hey, let me tell you about the brilliance of the Son, Jesus Christ, and the ridiculous um, way the Father can be and of the Holy Spirit. Find a reason, because witnessing is frontline, difficult, resisted work. Why would the glory of God be a good reason or the brilliance of God be a good reason? Because that has been a motivating factor through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus came to display the glory of the invisible God. That is a good motivating factor. This is why I'm willing to step out. Because I want to tell you about the brilliance of the Father, the brilliance of the Son, and the brilliance of the Spirit through words and through works. Find a reason that you can die for. These things, the thing with Christianity is most things work only if you're willing to die for a certain thing. Otherwise, you can always withdraw. You can always withdraw. I know that I will die, if necessary, for raising a generation or multiple generations. I know that I will die for it. It has gotten to a place where it is worth giving life up for. And when we find things in Christianity that you're willing to lay your life down for, it must live because you are willing to die for it. If Cain's blood still speaks, you think yours won't? It is what brings change, eh? Find the plot of land you want to die for. And that land will produce crops. It'll produce such a harvest. Derek, you want to share that story? So every week, uh, Manoj and, not Manoj, Pavan and, sorry bro. That was prophetic, Manoj. Now you'll have to turn up every week. Uh, yeah. I think so too. I think starting this Thursday, you're up for something in Wally. And no excuses like, no Jacob, I have to work at the lab till 5 o'clock. That's gone. Yeah. Okay. So every Thursday or Friday, Pavan and James and Mark and I meet in Wally to continue to do what God has been calling us to do there. Two weeks ago, when we met, we prayed for a bit and we split in two groups. So, Pavan and Mark went to one side of Wally, and then James and I went to the other side. We, Mohini had given us sandwiches that she had prepared. Uh, so we had bottles of water and sandwiches with us. Our intent is to walk the streets and to see what God has for us, for the people that we are to meet. So as we were walking, the first couple of people that uh, Bishop and I met, we sat down with them or talked with them and 
there was much resistance. There was this one person that, that we talked to. He wasn't really interested in hearing anything that we, would, we, we had for him. We even offered him a sandwich, and he's, he took that, but he was like, just, just get going from here. So we, we moved on, and um, we felt that we should go and sit down somewhere. So we, we sat down again, and we started praying. And um, as we were praying, one of the things that God had said a few months ago is that for Wally, one of the things that he has is a message of hope. Three words, message of hope. And so we started going back to that, and we said, Father, this is what you've asked us. There is a message of hope for Wally, and we are here. Uh, where do you want us to go? And so God said, I'm bringing you back to what I said a few months ago. Keep this in mind, and now as you go, you're going to meet someone, and all you have to carry with you is this message of hope. And when you're there, you'll know what to do, and that's all that needs to happen. So Bishop and I, we started walking again, and as we're walking, we, we see a man sitting down. He's not a homeless person. He's just sitting down doing his thing. He's reading his book. Am I taking too much time? Jigga? No. Okay. <laughs> so he's reading his book, and uh, we feel that's the person we are supposed to go and talk with. So we go there, and we, it's like bodyguards. I sit on one side, and uh, Bishop sits on the other side. And we just look at him and we say, hey, how are you doing? So Bishop starts the conversation. We start talking with him only to realize that he is absolutely not interested in talking with us. He's reading his book, and it's, it's, it's an ICBC test thing that he's reading. And uh, he's not interested in talking. So we, we know, though, that God has sent us to him. We know that. And we know what we carry. We carry the message of hope that God has given us. So we work through the first two very awkward minutes and uh, we look at him, and he's reading his book, and then we, we start conversing with him again. And as we begin to converse with him, he is now attending. So all, all of a sudden, the man who was absolutely not interested in hearing us or seeing us begins to open up. And now we know what we carry, the message. So we start talking to him, and we tell him, God sent us your way, and uh, we know we are absolute strangers, and we carry this message God told us very specifically that he has a message of hope for you. So he now opens up. He's interested and listening. And all of a sudden, God told me, talk about the prodigal son. So I stood up. I just felt like I should stand up because we were sitting down. And I stood up and I started talking about this. I told him there is a story I want to share with you. It's just, I didn't tell him what. Start talking about the prodigal son story. And uh, towards the end, Bishop and I realized that this person was born in a Christian family and everything that we said is what had happened to him. And he ended up praying to God. And in his prayer to God, one of the lines he said is, you sent these two guys to me so that I can see a new start for me. And uh, that's what happened. We now have his name, his phone number, we will be in touch with him, but that's how God works. So, Thank you, Derek. Guys, uh, one of the things we need to do is start perhaps calling Derek up and saying, hey, this week can I come? Begin to experience this in a uh, place that you're not familiar. And then perhaps you can begin to experience it in a place that you're familiar. But there is something happening every week. If this must have feet, this is something you have to do. If 20 of us turn up, uh, people will run. But <laughs> let him schedule you. But 
Um, this is something that we need to do. I'm sure some of us are doing it on our own, but let's try this together and see if this thing will give way. I want to read out another story from someone called Anne in Bahrain. Uh, she sent me this one, because they, they began um, doing the same thing there. And listen to this story. This is so cool. So this, too, um, she's got pictures and all this. So they actually painted cards, uh, like um, hand-painted cards. And so uh, we went out uh, a couple of days ago. We went to a place called Rifa. We've never gone to the mall there, never needed to. We went to the mall, we walked around for a bit, looking for f people we could just talk to. Most of them were Arabs. I went up to one almost, and she walked into the cinema. All the while, I'm realizing how scared I am, worried that they might think I'm cuckoo. We saw a Starbucks on the ground floor, so we thought, okay, let's go there. I saw a girl walking towards the Starbucks, so I told Jaren, I sense I need to talk to her. She comes in is waiting in line for her order, and I take these two card paintings that we had made with specific words, and I sensed God saying they are for her. I go up to her and ask her, are you doing takeaway or are you going to be here? She gives me the most bewildered look, almost about to come at me asking, why are you asking? Why do you care? What do you need? I told her that my husband and uh, me thought that we'd drive by Rifa um, and step into this mall and give these cards away. I told her that these words that I've written on the card I believe will speak to a present situation that you're going through. I told her that God is here and he's listening. She looked at the card, cards. She paused, stunned, and then she breaks down Jacob. She starts crying inconsolably. I ask her if there's anything I can pray for her. And she says, yes, yesterday she had a really bad fight with her husband. Is still dealing with it. She says she wants to talk more. We grab a seat. I pray for her. She records me praying and then asks me if I can make a video so she can share it with her friends. I say, yeah, sure. Scary face. Emoji. <laughs> and Jacob, I asked her about her kids and they are at the same school I work at. So now she wants to catch up. A local uh, lady from Bahrain was so cool, Jacob. Had asked God to give us a people as a sign of the first fruits of the revival. I'm so glad God honored that, Jacob. So thrilled so encouraged. Let these stories begin to come in, guys. Let these stories begin to come in. So Father, we just pause right now and we give you praise, Abba. We just give you praise, Father. Somehow these stories are revealing your heart, Father. And your heart being revealed always touches our hearts. We live for you, Father. You lived and died for the rest. You said, I got more sheep that I need to bring into the flock. Representation? Jesus, let me not go away leaving this feeling behind. Let me take this feeling, turn it into truth and walk it. Keep revealing your heart to us, Father, with regard to people, with his Arab lady with this man, a prodigal who came back. Keep revealing your heart for people so that my heart is affected and I begin to experience what Paul says when he said, his love compels me. Father, I want your love to compel us. 
that it becomes an ache I cannot avoid. <laughs> it's 106, man. I won't be able to finish what I had, but that's okay. Just want to touch on the last one. I won't finish it. We'll do it some other time. The third thing for representation is signs. The first one was love. Sorry, the first one was courage. Second one is love. Third one is signs. The gospel cannot be preached without signs and wonders. Cannot be preached without signs and wonders. You take Acts chapter 6 verse 7, you take Acts chapter 12 verse 24, you take Acts chapter 13 verse 49, you take Acts chapter 19 verse 20, and you find the same thing being said, that the word of God increased. The word of God increased. And in three of those cases, signs would happen. And so signs are basically God's Signs are God's way. Signs are God's way. God's work of restoring broken creation. So begin to dare. We'll talk about it next time. Begin to dare to think of God's absolute desire to restore in Superstore. Or at Best Buy. Or by the side of the street. Begin to dare to think of God's desire to restore through signs and miracles and wonders broken creation. Walk with an expectation eh? because once this expectation grabs your heart, it'll trigger, once this expectation grabs your heart, it will trigger <laughs> unsolicited action as in you won't ask you won't wait to be asked you won't wait to be asked by the person it triggers unsolicited action I said I won't go into it so I can't because we'll run out of time but John 14, 12, I'm on my way to the Father. I'm giving you the same work to do that I've been doing. John 14, 11, if you can't believe me that the Father is in me, believe what you see. Signs and wonders are God's witness to his word, but we'll deal with that another time. Any questions? These three have to combine for representation. First one, courage. Second one, love. Third one, signs. It must be a an expectation. That kind of expectation triggers unsolicited action. And usually it has thus far centered around a person or a ministry. But when 20, 30 people have this expectation, then something breaks. Eh? So begin to cultivate this expectation so that in Superstore, on the side of the road, you will take the most foolish action of praying for someone who's lame, crippled, blind, 
sick, coughing, fever, headache, and uh, you won't be able to help them anyways. Anyways, you're not going to be able to help them. But representation can. Yeah? Kate, you want to come up? <laughs> 